I'm Joel Guy. And I'm Naomi Guy, and welcome back to Why Will No One Date These Guys? Uh, this is a very special episode. It's an asthma experience. Uh, we're going to speak in soft, low tones due to the topic today. It's all about coping skills. Before we do that, we're going to sample today's drink, which is a lovely hibiscus tea. Naomi, why don't we take some sips? Okay. That is not a lovely hibiscus tea. I don't like that. It literally just tastes like black tea with sugar. That tastes like black tea with sugar. Uh, we chose a Argo tea today, a hibiscus tea sangria. It came in a nice bottle, which I'll probably reuse for other drinks that I come up with. Um, but yes, the flavor is not very good. They describe it as a medley of berries and orange, thirst-quenching hibiscus tea, and crisp apple notes. I only got sugar and sweet. Joel, I think you're freaking out the audience. Am I freaking out the audience? Um, just for the audience's sake, if you've never had hibiscus tea, go find yourself some hibiscus flowers from a Mexican grocery store. Uh, most ethnic food aisles will carry them this time of year. But put them in some water, let that sit overnight, and you got yourself some really nice cranberry-flavored punch. It is tart. A little tart. bit of nectar. It is Sweeten tart, it and a lot of people Maybe add... a twist of lime. Cinnamon stick if you're feeling special. This is now a cooking podcast where I give simple, friendly recipes that you can do in the comfort of your own home. What are we talking about today, Joel? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, Naomi, uh, we did an episode on coping skills. We did an episode on what Self-care. we did in order to take care of ourselves yes. and treat ourselves right in this stressful world. And it occurred to me that I probably should like go to the experts and figure out their suggestions because you know our experiences probably aren't things that can be easily mapped onto other people's lives and um there's good data out there from you know literally a century of psychology uh so i found a book it is called coping skills it is a comprehensive but also short read talking about tools and techniques for surviving every stressful situation and so i wanted to do kind of a book report uh, there are other books that I want to, you know, bring to this podcast and kind of summarize and discuss in detail, but this is one of the first ones because, again, it's a very simple, short read. So it's by Dr. Faith G. Harper. She's a PhD in LPCS and ACS and ACN. Um, that is all gibberish to me. Uh, that, that, most of that doesn't make a lot of sense to me either, <laughs> but it sounds like she's qualified, which is important. Uh, but again, this is part of a series that she's done on different life techniques and strategies for, you know, dealing with stressful situations. It's a cheap book. You can get an e- e-copy of it online. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to run through it and talk about how she understands the importance of coping skills and the actual techniques that she thinks are important. Uh, Naomi, why are coping skills important if you're in a relationship? Can't you just like take all of your negative juju and take it out on your partner? Um, That's not what your partner is there for. Really? Yes. I think that if you're in a relationship with anyone that if you need to take off out your negative energy, yes, they can be a, um, helpful source of, hey, I need to rant for a couple of minutes. Can you just listen to me? But I do not think that you should be taking out your negative energy on your partner. Absolutely. I think that's a very, very bad idea. And your relationship will get a lot. It, it'll come to a quick end if you continue to do that. Yeah, uh, 100%. So the first question she, I think, answers in this book is why coping skills are important. And I think a lot of people listening are going to be rolling their eyes, too. They're like, well, coping skills mean that someone's dumb and pathetic. It's a continuation of a process to infantilize Zoomers and millennials. Uh, You know, when people talk about safe spaces and, you know, people's need for uh, to be shielded from the harsh realities of life, I think coping skills are what they think of. Um, 
Now, she on page nine talks about this and says that needing coping skills is not a sign of weakness or mental illness. It means you are a normal human being navigating a truly abnormal culture. Lily Tomlin once said, reality is the leading cause of stress amongst those in touch with it. There are a few things that are complete and fundamental truths about yourselves and why you sometimes are struggling and need coping skills. First, there are no such things as wrong responses, only adaptive ones. Second, what you have survived has wired your body to proceed with extreme caution on an unconscious level at all times. Third, you're not choosing to shut down. Fourth, it's not a mental illness. It's a physiological state of the human body. And fifth, you're not crazy by having coping skills. You've adapted to the environment around you with the only information that you had at the time, your previous circumstances. So she jumps into a lot of definitions. So we like fundamentally understand what she's talking about. Um, I would normally gloss over these, but I think there's a lot of misconceptions about some of the terms she uses. So I want to talk about those. So pages 14 and 15, she talks about stress, and she says, in a clinical sense, stress refers to any event that requires an output of resources. Stress can be good, as in like an output of resources to create art or run a race or finish school, or can be bad, coping with a car accident or an illness or being terminated from a job. Whether the situation is good or bad, we can hit a point where we run out of resources that we need to cope with a situation. And that's what distress is, the point of resource depletion, the point where we need support. Whether you're suffering enormous amounts of emotional pain over a mismatch between your gender or your birth and your birth assignment, whether you're simply aware of this mismatch and there are things that can be done to bring you in alignment, you could be said to be experiencing psychological distress. You've hit a point where you need resources. Amy, are you ever stressed? Yes, mm. all the time. Yeah. Um, when you're stressed, do you have like an immediate knee-jerk reaction um, to feelings of pressure or do you just kind of like let it wash over you and slowly like until you're underwater and have to come up for air? I think it depends on the situation because like the biggest source of stress in my life is school right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that like in those situations, it depends like, okay, yes, there's a big assignment like due. It's either due in a week or it's due tomorrow. So right. it's like if it's due tomorrow, I cry and then I nice. plan out as much as I can. And then I like start to do the project. But if it's a week from now, then I'm like, I'm stressed about it. But then I just go to sleep. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I had this weird experience yesterday and I was doing good uh, all morning. And then I had to head to my part time job where I do like management work for a restaurant uh, and I get there and immediately I'm told there's a giant issue with the water heater and I need to either help them fix the water heater or figure out how to fix the water heater. But that's not your job. It's not my job. So not only is it not something I'm actually skilled at, i.e. plumbing, it's also not something I've ever actually done for this restaurant. And so then they're like, oh, we'll go talk to the management of our property because the management of the property will probably have some connections of like people you can use to to solve your plumbing related issues and i'm like uh i've never spoken to the management of the property before also i'm dressed up like a normal employee and i've seen how they interact with normal employees it's it's not with respect and they're like yeah don't worry about it we're busy and i'm like oh, okay so i headed over there and had to ask and brought them over and we took a look and then i had to call a bunch of contractors and it, it was it was stressful i i wasn't a fan um, so Dr. Harper then talks about triggers. Um, so psychologically, triggers are events, sensations, images, memories, etc. that facilitate the re-experiencing of any event that overwhelmed our ability to cope. Re-experiencing is the big word here, y'all. If you have an unresolved trauma, your brain is wired to literally relive that trauma in order to protect you in the present once something cues up that traumatic memory. As she notes, that she realizes that makes absolutely no pragmatic sense, but the brain's an asshole. Like, we don't have a lot of control over the, like what our biochemistry does. 
Being triggered does not mean being upset or disliking something or perceiving something as someone as more challenging any more than someone disagreeing with you means you are being bullied. Being triggered means you're literally reliving a traumatic event in your body and mind and are not functioning in the present moment or dealing with your present experience. So I do think like younger people use the word triggered much more casually yeah, than the clinical it, term. It became a very like casual term that people use all the time. Yeah. And I think that was annoying to me because like I personally have not experienced, I'm not trying to like make myself see like make it seem like I have um because obviously this is like a serious issue but I do know several people that they went through a trauma really early on in their life Mm -hmm. and then something so simple just triggered them to make them relive it and so they didn't remember it because their brain kind of stuffed it away and then they had to relive this trauma but they weren't reliving it because they don't didn't remember it in the first place so it was like the first time that they had experienced the trauma and mm-hmm. so they had to like actually live the trauma and yeah. they and they didn't understand where it was coming from. Yeah, and again, I think this is where this perception that all the youth are are weak and mentally feeble and you know the the merest thing that disagrees with their political opinions will send them into a catatonic stupor. Um but no, it's an actual like mental condition. Uh it's not something people have control over and I think more importantly it's probably been around for a while. Like PTSD was like diagnosed until like the 1910s. So, you know, there are sure thousands of people who would go to war and see their friends get blown up and then, you know, have to deal with those memories for a while. But there weren't the proper terms um, to articulate, you know, what was actually going on. And so I think it's good being able to define these things and bring them into common usage so that we understand, you know, what's actually going on and how people are reacting to certain things. So she then defines coping skills and why she thinks coping skills are important and says that their conscious efforts to utilize resources to manage or mitigate stressors. The stressors are either internal in the form of health issues, trauma, flashbacks, negative self-talk, wiring, etc., or external, bad shit happening, other people's trauma, all the crazy shit going on in the world. So I think that's interesting because stress comes, you know, from us, but obviously we can't see the stuff that's internal, right? Like if someone's having a bad day at work, And you haven't seen the boss angry at them. It seems that they're not, you know, going through a lot um, in terms of projects at the moment. You might think, oh, they're just being lazy or they're tired or, you know, they're partying all night. Now, you know, they they can't get the job done. You might be disappointed in them. But at the same time, um, they could have a lot going on internally, you know, or, you know, stuff at home that you haven't seen. I think that's always important where we make assumptions about people based upon their actions. But there's a lot going on that we're unable to see and notice and recognize. Uh, And so this is something that, you know, I've tried to do a lot more in recent years is understand that people who act in a certain way have a lived experience in life outside of the situation that I encounter them in. Um, It's difficult at times because some people are real jerks, but um, it's paid off in other ways where, you know, someone who I think you could brush off as being a jerk or a dick or just a bad person turned out to have like a much deeper, richer inner life and opened up a bit more once you started talking to them and recognizing that. I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. I read a quote recently saying like, um, the sooner that you realize that people's actions are more reflect, uh, more of a reflection on them and not a reflection on you, you start to understand people better and things just start to just slide off your back because you aren't as affected and I would say that that's true in some circumstances. Like, let's just say, like, they're gossiping about you or, you know, something like that, just dumb shit like that. But 
I don't think that's necessarily true in all situations. What do you think about that? I've never heard of that quote. Okay. I, I don't know where you'd get the idea that other people's actions would be a reflection on you. No, no, no. It's a reflection on them more than it is a reflection on you. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know why you would think it was a reflection on you in the first place. Well, because like, you know, when you're a kid and like your parents like yell at you and they're like, I'm mad at you because you did this mm. or something like that. So it's like, that's a direct. No, I, I would say it's more like when you're a kid and a family member dies and you think it was somehow your fault or your responsibility. Okay. Okay. And I think that is like a childlike notion that you are the only person in the world and everything that happens is directly linked to you. Yeah. That maybe a lot of people don't learn. Yeah. I think, think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, there people do things for a lot of reasons. Ultimately, like I think you're responsible for very little. Um, I think a lot of our lives are governed by forces outside of our control. Um, so like, I think there's, there's some excusing, you know, people's behavior, but at the end of the day, yeah, I don't know if that reflects on you in any way. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm feeling suddenly very, very, very spiritual. It's probably the tea. I keep lapsing into this like casual ASMR voice. So I feel like it's the tea. Maybe that's like yeah. the secret ingredient. We have a lot to get through. So maybe I need to <laughs> pump up the energy. Okay. So uh, Dr. Harper jumps into the three uh, main responses that you have to external stimuli that is stressful uh, stimuli that might cause a fight, flight or freeze response. So people typically think of fight and flight, but there is a third one that's well documented. It's called freeze. Um, and it answers the question, why don't people fight back or like run away in stressful situations? So a freeze response is no more a failure than any other protective coping strategy and is nothing to be ashamed of. Peter Levine, an American clinical psychologist, states that there are four potential evolutionary survival benefits to the freeze response. And when we say freeze, we literally mean freezing in place, not moving, not reacting, maybe curl curling up in a ball. Most predatory animals won't eat an animal they believe is already dead unless they're already really hungry. Most animals have encoded information that meat that is already dead may be spoiled and therefore is a risk to eat. It is more difficult for predators to detect prey that is not moving, so immobilization shuts down all movement responses. Even if we are trying to be still and quiet, it is difficult to do so unless we become, have become biochemically immobilized. When one animal collapses in a group, this distracts the predator from the rest of the group, allowing their escape, and the freeze response releases a numbing agent in the body that makes the pain or attack more bearable. Um, so... Freeze is, um, again, something that I think a lot of people ignore. Uh, we were talking about consent and sexual assault and like victim blaming a couple episodes ago. And I think a lot of people are like, well, wouldn't you fight back? Why didn't you run away or anything? It's like, well, both uh, people probably aren't going to have that reaction. They're going to have the freeze reaction. Yeah. Um, so again, you know, these are hard coded into our, you know, DNA and our brains. Um, I, I, it may be possible with, you know, enough training in stressful situations to kind of unlearn those. Obviously, it's something the military tries to do, but I don't think that's something an ordinary person would. Um, Has the psychological ability yeah, to do it. I, I don't own. think that's something that's taught in schools. It's yeah. something you, I think, consciously have to be trained to unlearn. Um, so we're super good at getting ourselves in trouble in the following ways. We have coping skills, but they're unhealthy. We have coping skills, but they stop working. We don't have enough strategies to fall back on when the skills that usually work don't work. We forget to use our strategies in the moment. We aren't sure what strategies we should use in these situations. So even people who have like comprehensive training can still like fail to respond in a proper way in a stressful situation. It's why if you take like CPR training, um, one of the first things they say is point at people like a specific person in the crowd and say, Hey, you call 911. 
Because most people milling around, you know, someone who needs like first aid, yeah, they aren't thinking, oh, I should be doing help. They automatically are thinking other people might do it or they're just like paralyzed because they don't know what to do and they don't have a good reaction for when, you know, there's someone gushing blood or not breathing in front of them. So, uh, yeah, that is a tip for CPR. Always have someone call 911, single out people, call 911. That's super helpful. And if anyone in the crowd asks if you're a doctor, always say no. Always. What's that supposed to mean? No, because I heard this freaking story about um, this guy who was on a plane and somebody was like, help, I need a doctor. And he was like, I'm a doctor. And he gets up and he was like, I performed my first tracheotomy today. And let me tell you, I did not succeed. But damn, was it thrilling. He was not a doctor. This feels very anecdotal. (laughs) Call me crazy. So, uh, again, like, it's totally possible that you're going to take some of this training and listen to this episode and still not have proper responses. And this stuff does take time. Don't beat yourself up. This is a lot of work to learn and kind of unlearn your brain's coping strategies. So, you know, take all of this, internalize it, try to practice it in your day-to-day, but don't feel bad, ultimately, if you're not able to use it when stressful situations occur. So... What are some real-world examples of studying successful mental health tricks? Um, and it turns out the Navy has spent a lot of time studying what makes people like successful. Um, they have very intense boot camps and really high dropout rates. is like 75% in the Navy SEALs dropout rate, and that's already people who have been selected. So it's already people who are thought to be you know mentally and physically astute. Um, but yeah, the military spends your money on things other than testing LSD on the Unabomber, teaching men to remote view, or trillion-dollar airplanes that never work. They do things like studies where they try to do meta-analyses of the most successful troops. So they wanted to know, you know, what happens to the 25% of people who do make it through training. And they found that it was probably mostly mental ability, not physical ability. There were four essential abilities that were later named the four pillars of mental toughness, and they represent a seriously well-woven set of coping skills we can all learn from. So there's four pillars, Naomi. Pillar one is very short-term and very specific goal setting. Pillar two is positive mental visualization. Pillar three is positive self-talk. And pillar four is managing self-arousal. Not that, you perverts. Uh, Pillar one, very short-term and very specific goal setting. Goals that are going to take a while are sort of vaguely nebulous or recipes for disaster. We need a quantifiable ending and we need to see it right up ahead. Navy SEALs who focused on getting through the training activity at hand rather than the overall course were far more successful in finishing the entire program. They would say things like, okay, let me get through this assignment. I can always quit after. And that's how Dr. Harper says she actually finished her doctorate program. Um, that's how smokers do do? it. That's how smokers do it. Yeah. They're like, Oh, I'll take a smoke to get tomorrow, but Mm -hmm. tomorrow never comes. So like they just keep saying, Oh, I'll take a smoke tomorrow. Oh, I'll take a drink tomorrow. You know, like addicts just do that. I've heard this as a strategy for coping with depression. Cause like when you're depressed, you don't want to clean up your house. You just want to kind of lie in bed all day. Yeah. And so you set really small goals for yourself where it's like, okay, I'm going to get out of bed. Okay. I'm out of bed. I guess I'm going to, Brush Brush my my teeth teeth and then go back to bed. Okay, well, my bathroom's kind of dirty, so I'm going to, you know, straighten up, put the towels in the washer, and then I'm going to go to bed. And, you know, it's breaking stuff down to the smallest parts so that you're not thinking about how big the enormity of cleaning up your house and getting, you know, yourself out of your stupor is. So pillar two is positive mental visualization. This means mentally watching yourself successfully complete the task you set out to accomplish or endure the bullshit you need to endure. We are wired for the negative as a species survival skill, which means we can visualize failure, which leads to the brain saying abort mission. We can replace that automatic response with positive walkthrough and a successful outcome, and we are far more likely to make it happen if we do. Naomi, I've just spoiled the entire secret series. Do you want to know what the secret is? The secret is positive mental visualization. I'm not going to lie. 
Uh, that also is kind of the background of uh, like all the Joel Olstein televangelists where they're like, if you envision yourself rich, God will reward you. And so you just have to think really hard and send me money and I'll help you. And let, let me be clear, I'm not conflating this with the kind of like pseudoscience, pseudo spirituality stuff that those people promote. Um, the reason I think they promote it is because they recognize so many people use that to find success. And so it's good advice mixed in with a lot of negative stuff. It's the same reason that like in Fight Club, there's a lot of actually good advice for living your life interspliced with let's just blow up society and make soap from people's dead bodies. Um, it turns out that if you're a successful cult leader, you actually have to give people good life affirming advice, uh, not just like really shitty stuff that separates you from other people and give, makes you turn over all your, your checks and money to, to them. Um, anyways, positive visualization. Um, Naomi, is this something you use at all? Um, I have a really hard time using visualization. Our mom, when we were younger, I don't know if she did this with Joel. She might've read the secret after Joel left the house, <laughs> but, um, I think that she was a big, uh, proponent of visualization, but it was really always hard for me because I have a really hard time, um, visualizing and keeping on task in the sense that like, I can't visualize and not have negative things pop into my head. I'm like, Oh, well, what if this goes wrong? And then I visualize that and it's mm -hmm. kind of like really bad and it's harmful for me. Cause I'm like, Oh God, then maybe that will happen. Um, so that's why I don't visualize. Well, I mean, I, I did read something recently that apparently new research is indicating certain people just don't have the ability to like mentally picture things. Like they can think about stuff, but yeah. like coming up with images in their brain about what's going on is very difficult for them. So that's why there's four pillars. Uh, three pillars can still hold the table. It's fine. There are two backup strategies. <laughs> Pillar three is positive self-talk. Uh, Dr. Harper says our rate for of inner dialogue is far higher than our capacity for verbal speech. It's actually been clocked at 4,000 words a minute. And again, since we are wired for the negative, we tend to speechify negative ideas. If we intentionally use positive self-talk mantras and encouragement, we are far more likely to succeed. Remind yourself this ain't no thing. That's uh, how she spelled thing compared to everything else you've been through. And hell, your survival rate thus far is 100%, so the odds are in your favor. Rockstar. Um, positive self-talk. Uh, I probably need to do more of that. Um, no, you don't. You need to ask for more help. That's your first goal. No, I, I, I do it. think a lot of people immediately jump to the worst aspects of their personality when thinking about themselves. And I think most people are like fundamentally good. Like they may not always do the best things, but like they're inclined towards like doing good in the world. And so like, I do think that it's important to articulate, you know, all of your positive qualities. It's easy to forget in the heat of the moment, you know, whether or not you contribute positive things to the world or not. And so, you know, constantly articulating that, reminding you of that makes it more automatic. I, look, I see a lot of depressing Zoomer memes. I shared a lot of depression <laughs> Zoomer memes for a while. Um, it's, it's all about how the world is collapsing and everything is terrible and you suck because you didn't get into a good college and things like that. And um, I think there's there's room in this world for that kind of humor. It's it's fun to goof about your failings and be cognizant of them and be more open and accepting. But it's also important to like recognize your base line is is good. Does that make sense? Yes, it can be harmful. Okay. Number four, pillar four, managing self-arousal. Uh, so managing our cortisol and adrenaline production is a huge part of coping. Techniques that keep the body calm in turn keep the feeling thoughts better managed. Breathing techniques are a big part of that. One of the basic ones that SEALs use is a simple four-by-four four technique. In for four, one, two, three, four, and out for four. One, two, three, four. 
It's less complicated than some of the others, which makes it easier to use. Your brain and body are going to absolute panic mode. Uh, She gives the example where during training, candidates have their wrists and ankles tied so they're dumped in a pool so they can, you know, get the simulation of drowning and the breathing part doesn't work so good anymore. Uh, Breathing techniques can help us so much more in immediate moments of utter terror. Um, This is actually something that I do. Uh, Every so often I'm feeling particularly stressed and I will do breathing exercises and boy, within 30 seconds to a minute, you're feeling so much better. It's very helpful. You? Do you like breathing? Yeah, I do like breathing. Uh, call me crazy. Uh, sorry, you're, you're catching us before Naomi said her morning Red Bull. Oh, don't spill all my secrets. That's not fair. Naomi's beauty hack. No, I'm actually coming down from my Red Bull high, so I've been drinking coffee the past two days, and it's just not doing the same thing. Um, no, I do think that breathing like, and coming up with breathing skills is very important because I think that a lot of people are just like, okay, if I breathe once, it'll be fine. But I think that actually coming up with, okay, I'm going to breathe in for four. And it, it honestly just calms you down because it gives you one thing to focus on at a time. Yeah. And you don't have to like be thinking about multiple things. You can just be like, okay, I'm going to breathe in now. Okay. I'm going to breathe out now. <laughs> um, so she then talks about uh, different types of mental health tips. Um, and the reason I think it's important to categorize the different types is because if you're in a pinch, you're not in the mental state necessary to walk through your like, checklist of of mental health techniques it's a little easier if you can like broadly understand the categories and then given the situation you know do whatever falls under that category to help rather than like having specific things that you need to think about in the moment to help you if that makes sense so grounding techniques are one of the things that she talks about all the time uh grounding techniques one of the can do coping skills that cost nothing and don't make you look stupid like you know doing walking yoga or something walking meditation uh so mental grounding they're intended to keep you in the present moment by focusing on your current situation and surroundings um it's saying things to yourself like literally mentally i'm feeling afraid i'm feeling afraid i'm not afraid i'm not angry um this is also something that i've used before um every so often like i get unhappy and i will literally like say to myself i am not unhappy i am feeling unhappy i am not mad i am feeling mad and i think it's really important to separate yourself from the emotion uh, because the emotion is you know just a burst of chemicals your entire identity is not defined by it um so she suggests using phrases or mantras that are soothing to you things like i got this or this is temporary this this will pass like a fucking kidney stone but it will pass um boy that's it's really fun those navy seals and the positive talk they use um playing categories games with yourself so naming all your favorite shows movies books songs etc the point is to draw from your semantic memory instead of your emotional memory. So you want to distract your brain from thinking about whatever it is in the uh, now and pulling, you know, from your kind of knowledge centers. Um, so, you know, think about different movies that you like. Think about different colors of paint that are on the walls of your house. Think about all of the objects in your bedroom um, or even, you know, just your favorite animals or something. So, again, it's, it's drawing your brain's mental energy away from the, the emotional reaction to things. Describe something in great detail that's attached to the present moment. It could be all the colors you can see in front of you or the article you're holding in, the hand, in your hand. And the fourth one is going over your schedule in your mind or the steps it takes to complete an activity you do well. This is accessing procedural memory, which is a declarative form of memory just like semantic, which helps you detach from the emotional memory being triggered. So these all, again, fall under this idea of mentally grounding yourself. Uh, physical grounding is another option. Um, you can like check out from where you are with your brain. Um, but you, you can also do stuff like physically. So notice your breath, just the physical in and out breathing experience. Uh, don't 
focus on anything but your breath. Just just be in the moment of breathing. Uh, walking mindfully, noticing every step you take and the feeling when your feet connect to the earth. Um, you could also like hold water in your hand, like a little teaspoon of water in your hand and try not to spill any of it. Uh, touching objects around you, jumping up and down, eating something mindfully, noticing all the flavors and textures of it, making sure your feet are touching the floor. Um, have someone else, if this is something that helps you feel comfortable with their hands on you to ground you in your body. Um, and then there's also a technique called square breathing. Um, so square breathing is a little bit different. A lot of people don't breathe properly. They kind of lift their entire body up. Um, and that's really inefficient, uh, and actually really bad. Um, so she suggests square breathing where you lie down and put a stuffed animal or something lightweight in your stomach and breathe deeply enough to see it move. It's a kind of breathing that is a functional coping skill. Uh, square breathing comes from dialectical behavior therapy and is expansion of Navy SEAL breathing technique. So what you're doing is still the breathing in for a count of four, holding it for a count of four, breathing out for a count of four, and holding out for a count of four. And then you repeat that sequence three more times for a total of four by four by four. Um, but yeah, so it, it's a form of de-stressing. It's, it's not putting any pressure on you. You are completely relaxed lying down on the ground. It's harder to freak out when you're about to fall asleep. I, I find that. Um, another category beyond uh, grounding um, is pendulation and titration. So recognizing the different feelings in your body and learning to recognize changes in them. Um, she goes into a lot of detail on this. I didn't really find it as insightful. I would say read the actual book if you don't like my summarizing skills. Uh, but she also touches upon the importance of prayer and meditation here, and I like the way she unpacked their importance. So she says that in her professional work as a doctor, there are a lot of things that people tell her about their coping techniques, and one of the biggest is prayer and meditation. So I think a lot of people ignore the importance of prayer and meditation um, because they're time-consuming, and a lot of people, like, our age aren't religious, but she thinks they're very important because prayer and meditation um, are, are, are probably something that people find weird because they're tied so closely to spirituality. And a lot of people like who have trauma have negative experiences with organized religion for whatever reason. It could be how your parents raised you. It could be the belief systems that you've tried to unlearn over time. It could be negative experiences with Catholic priests. Uh, there's a lot of fucked up shit tied to organized religion. There's also good things done by religion, but a lot of trauma is rooted in people's reaction to religion. So um, she talks about Gerald Blanchard, who's a psychotherapist who writes on sexual abuse and indigenous people's coping techniques, definition of spirituality. And he defines it as purposeful belonging. Um, our fundamental way of invoking purposeful belonging, our prayer and meditation. So when she says prayer, what she's really talking about is the idea of talking to. It's speaking to ourselves or something bigger than ourselves, a higher power of some form, uh, about things like wants, needs, desires, and intentions. Uh, human beings are storytellers, um, so having a conversation with somebody is a lot like telling a story or thinking about a story. It's more powerful than talking to a friend, family, or therapist because it's a grounding experience that helps us be more aware of our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. I think that's really helpful, like this idea of prayer as speaking to someone who isn't a friend or family member. Because I think even if you're having open conversations with a lot of people, there's still probably a lot you're keeping to yourself. Would you yeah. agree? Um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of situations like I hate it so much where people um, come into my office and I'm like, how's it going? Right. Like, what's the right reaction to that? The only reaction I know is good. How about you? I say it's going, and then I'm silent after that. I also sometimes say it goes, which is uh, the literal interpretation of the German uh, response to uh, uh, wie geht es, es geht, it goes. 
I find that's kind of cute. It's my little, you know, meme. Naomi, Naomi's giving me a very angry eye. She wants to get through this, get back to her Red Bull. I'm not angry. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I think that um, it, it's it's important to be open and honest with yourself, even if you aren't open with others. And so I can understand, you know, why prayer is so helpful. Um, I like to talk to myself. Like if I'm in the car and I'm like feeling a little bit of stress, either like I've come from a stressful situation, I'm going to a stressful situation or I like somebody just flipped me off or something. Mm -hmm. Then like I just talk to myself and I'm like, okay, it's going to be okay. It's going to be after you fire a couple rounds at their vehicle. I read an article this morning. ABC's news came out with an article this morning saying that every 18 hours, somebody is killed from road rage. We don't have a gun problem in this country. No, not I want at- that on the record. We have gun solutions. Well, I don't think it's all guns because some people like come out with a crowbar and they're like, why do people stop? Because uh, we don't have healthy coping mechanisms exactly, in this country. Yes. Um, so if prayer is talking to things, then meditation is listening to things. Meditation is a process of quieting ourselves down enough to hear what's going on inside us. So they're, they're both different forms of this idea of purposeful belonging it's like living in the moment, doing nothing but thinking about, you know, who you are and where you stand in this universe. And so I can understand, you know, that's that's a very big picture perspective on your life that you have to adopt in the moment. Um, I, I can understand why so many people find solace in that. So she also suggests if prayer and meditation aren't something that works well for you, escapism is a way of pulling back from an untenable situation and not getting muddled up. Uh, so it's literally like going into other worlds where you you read books or listen to music or watch tv shows um well okay that's a bad example um it's a way of moving to another space in a mental and emotional way like if you're in like a really stressful situation it's like going to mcdonald's and playing in the ball pit it's a deliberate move into a different physical or emotional space and i would say the emotion of being in mcdonald's ball pit is very different than being in a high stress office or school situation i feel like that's just as stressful those ball pits are disgusting uh she says you know you could do something like going to a thrift store and buying up all the babysitters club books or you know running a bubble bath and sitting in that or just just escaping in general uh the reason i say that watching tv is a bad idea is because escapism should be proactive rather than passive um people who struggle with depression will typically end up watching a lot of tv and uh feeling bad about themselves because they're not doing anything so we want things that provide a sense of pleasure but also even like a sense of mastery to it so you know i think a lot of people our age enjoy coloring books like adult coloring books. Yeah. Um, I've done a couple of adult coloring books. They're actually I don't enjoy kid. I don't enjoy adult. I enjoy kid coloring books. So I have Ninja Turtles and I have dinosaurs. How, how chunky are the crayons you're using? It's not crayons. Like I use markers right. and I, I pencils. Would say one of the reasons that adult coloring books are a step above kid ones is because it, for kids, it's, it's like just the art of mastering their motor skills and yeah. like coloring in the lines. And for adults, it's even like more specific where you, you have all these little tiny boxes that you have to fill in. And so it is this kind of purposeful grounding where you're thinking about your space in the moment and trying to, you know, concentrate only on the task of getting, you know, different boxes filled and in a pleasing way. I'm still trying to master my motor skills. That's You've seen fair. the way I drive. That's fair. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I think, you know, escapism is another option, you know, do something that's very, very different from what you're doing. I don't think it's necessarily the most helpful because if you're super stressed, you're probably not in a mental state where you want to go actively seek out something different. You probably aren't thinking about that sort of thing, but if you can, you know, definitely use that. 
Um, I want to skip past a little of this. You know, I wrote it down initially in the summary, but I think, you know, we've already gone over it. Um, I think that in general, people just need to understand the importance of keeping a lot of different tools in their toolbox. Um, there, there should be a lot of strategies that you are aware of that you can use. And with that, you should practice them at different points when you're not stressed, right? It, it, like, here's an example. When a police officer is given a gun, they aren't just handed a gun on day one and told, oh, you might need to use this. They actually have training that goes with it. In the same way, like... This is our PSA. We do not support police officers in this country. Naomi, the imagery of a police officer is intuitive to people. This analogy makes sense. Okay, okay. We don't support the police system and the uh, racism that is built into the police system in this country, and that is the end of our PSA. Go ahead, Joel. I like firefighters. I like firefighters, too. No one hates firefighters, and they're really attractive, so... We should get a firefighter calendar. Ooh, now we're talking. Yeah. Um, This is now a home furnishings podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so, so build up these things in your toolbox and practice them when you're not in feelings of stress. There will probably be periods where you go a month or two without encountering stressful situations and, you know, schedule some time to, you know, do some coloring books, do some grounding techniques, you know, just do some meditation on a weekly basis. Try to build up the mental connections in your brain so that these are intuitive when you do encounter stress. Um, so I'm skipping past a lot of this. Uh, again, she goes into a lot of detail with other techniques such as the art of creation, the tombstone test, the ability to change the world, the ability to do nice things for people, practicing compassion and loving kindness. But I want to jump to the actual toolbox she comes up with at the end because there's a lot of really useful techniques. Um, I count 48 of them, and I want to get through these uh, without making this podcast two hours. So number one, chewing on things, gum, beef jerky, Turkey, pop rocks, something you can focus your attention on. You can't chew on pop rocks. Yeah, you can. I thought you just let them melt. Uh, if you're boring. I like explosions in my mouth. I saw this video of like this old guy, powder. and he was like, oh, I love these. It's like 9-11 in my mouth. And I was I, like, what the fuck? I was like, homie, it's too soon. Oh, geez. When will that joke have aged? Um, yeah, so I think that goes with this idea of like grounding yourself and thinking about other things other than your current situations. It's difficult to be angry when there's pop rocks exploding in your mouth. Uh, number two, finding something to keep your hands busy. Stuff like Play-Doh or Silly Putty is less distracting than fidget spinners, slinkies, fidget cubes, etc. But use whatever works for you. Um, I have a fidget cube. I don't use it very much. It's in my desk at work. But it is definitely fun to distract myself. In Did a our situation. brother give that to you? I bought it for him. I bought two of them from a Kickstarter. Uh, oh, the original Kickstarter? The original one for Damn. a bunch of You're Chinese manufacturers of uh, took the, uh, uh, the, the concept. Um, yeah, fidget spinners always kind of confuse me because they don't seem nearly as fun as fidget cubes. Um, I mean, I know they predated them. Oh, my God, I love them. I don't them. understand how they, they got so popular so fast. It was like a, if you were a cool thing, you had one. Uh, okay, I mean, I guess pogs were a thing, too. Kids are weird. Kids have low standards. I found a fidget spinner in Ikea one of the first times that I hung out with someone and we just passed it back and forth for months because it was so fun to play with. And then it just broke one day. How do you break a fidget spinner? There's so few moving parts. I have a memory of it being run over by a car, but I don't remember how we got to that point. Number three, blinking. It interrupts our brain's perception of time. According to research, it may function as a way of slowing down our neural metabolism. It's essentially a system reboot or mini nap that we go through during our waking hours unconsciously that we can also do consciously when stressed. Keeps your eyes moist, too, which is nice. (laughs) 
Uh, number four, attach a calming scent to feeling calm, happy, and relaxed. Lavender can be a good one to use. It has calming properties in its own right. You can do that by intentionally smelling a certain scent you feel calm and relaxed, like after meditation or guided imagery or exercising. Carry a drop of the scent on a cotton ball in a Ziploc baggie or a small container. When feeling stressed, open it, inhale the scent, and reconnect to a calm feeling. Um, so this is kind of funny. I mean, I like that. There's a Pavlovian effect. Um, when I was at the Montessori school in like third grade, Miss Judy gave us little bottles of smelling salts. It was like yeah. peppermint and lemon essential oil. They were supposed to help mental cognition. Yeah, it was like this idea of like focusing. Um, and the way she talked about it, I thought it was like some magical, like mystical it's it's panacea that would solve all of your problems. Yeah. And so I started sniffing it whenever I was about to take a test um, at that school. And then my school after when I started at the great heart school in seventh grade. And it turns out at an actual school, that's not a Montessori taking out <laughs> bottles of things and sniffing them is not a great look. And it raises eyebrows from teachers. Oh God. Um, and so I had those confiscated for a week as they got in touch with our parents and our parents were like, it's, it was a Montessori school chill. And they're like, yeah, okay, don't bring it again. No, you had that happen to you and then when i was in middle school dad was like oh here this will help your cognition your mental cognition it was like rosemary oil Mm -hmm. and so he's like i don't want what happened to joel happen to you so he like had me like put it like on my wrist or something (laughs) and i'd like smell it and like i think it was more of a placebo more than anything our father the drug fiend our father the drug fiend uh, number five, when you find yourself thinking in terms of negatives, such as I can't, I can't deal with large crowds, I can't run a 10K, add the word yet to the end of the thought. I can't deal with large crowds, dot, 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 yet. I can't run a 10K, dot, 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 yet. I can't sabotage a space shuttle a billionaire is taking to outer space, dot, yet. dot, dot, yet. Um, <laughs> that's going to be so fun. When like Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos both cut corners, they could be the first person in space and then uh, tragedy. Are you saying first person in space because the moon landing wasn't real? Uh, First asshole in space. Oh, Most astronauts seem like pretty stand up people. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So it opens you up to the possibility of working towards being able to do it later rather than getting stuck in a cycle of negativity. Number six, take a hot bath with Epsom salts for a detox. If you don't have access to a tub, at least soak your feet. Um, I'm Get not a, a big fan of taking baths. I used to be. It just like soak in there for hours and read books. And now it feels like a big waste of water. And then you're just like soaking in your your own juices. It's like a Joel soup. Why <laughs> did you say that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd say, you know, soak your feet. I think that makes a lot more sense. Um, take a nice warm shower or something. Go ahead and cry. Number seven, sad tears release chemicals that other tears don't. Um, I don't know how you deliberately cry. Maybe cut some onions and then, oh my God, cut onions. And then while you're crying, make French onion soup. That sounds like a good way. It says sad tears release chemicals that other tears do not. And I don't think uh, you're sad if you're cutting an onion. Okay. Personify the onion, name the onion (laughs) and then Charles, Augustus, uh, Windsor, Basel, Basel. Yeah. Number eight, create a list of five things you're grateful for. Are there mentally write it down? Dr. Harper says that her mother made her do this when she was little and she hated it, but it worked. Can I go back to the sad thing? Yeah. Okay. So I know that like when I'm having a stressful situation, I cry and it gives me a lot of relief, but there was like, can you help me diagnose this? There was like two or three weeks in April where I just cried like eight times a day. Like the weirdest things would just set me off and I just cry. Let's talk after this podcast. Oh God. Oof. 
Joel's going to send me to a therapist. Potentially. Or one of those mental hospitals where they like Joke's tie Joke's on up. you. I'm a registered therapist. I'm not. No. They tie up your arms like behind you. I don't you. think they still do that. They definitely don't. Not since Reagan. Uh, Wait, it was Reagan, right? That got I think our coping skills commentary is better than our political commentary. Sorry. Number nine, take off your shoes and socks. Connect to the earth beneath you. Uh, we were talking about grounding earlier. This is called earthing. <laughs> Number 10, hold a piece of ice in your hand. It's not going to hurt you, but the sensation will disrupt the other distress signals in your body. Um, so they, she suggests this particularly for thoughts of self-injury. It's a feeling of pain, and, but it also doesn't have long-term damage. Um, yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um, every so often, like I'll just be chewing on ice or something, and I will get completely distracted from whatever I'm doing because my mouth is so cold and my teeth hurt. Um, so I think it works. Number 11, count backwards from 100 by threes. Um, I think that's pretty helpful, but none of us are particularly good. I think at, um, at adding or subtracting numbers, especially backwards, I'm not good at it. I mean, you can do this for any amount. You could be like, you know, 500, uh, count backward by nines or something, you know, just odd numbers that, you know, aren't evenly divisible that force you to actually do some mental math and keep track of where you are. When we were younger, we used to go to this like religious retreat for a weekend every, I think it was like September, October in Prescott. Used to sacrifice chickens, set fire to the non-believers. Exactly. And during that, two of the older girls that were going on the trip were talking about uh, how when you get pulled over, you have to say, like, and they suspect you are intoxicated, you have to recite the alphabet backwards. And I realized that I can't even do that sober. So how could I do that intoxicated? And thinking about that, if I have to count back by threes, like I know when I was in a class in my freshman year of high school, I had this teacher that he would do this thing where we'd line up in like if we got through everything in time like or early in the class he'd line us up in the back of the classroom and we'd have to count by prime numbers so we'd go from one and we'd go up to however far we could go but if somebody messed up we'd have to start over <laughs> that was orletsky what a what a what a what a person uh, 12 look at cat videos online or pygmy goat videos or panda bears or what puppy is a dogs. pygmy goat um, baby notes are just really small goats. I'm familiar oh. with, um, I think it's shrieking goats. Uh, it's the goats that they freeze up their entire body, um, solidifies like they're in rigor mortis and they just topple off of things when they get scared. Oh, people don't freeze them. They freeze up. Yes. Okay. Yes, I was like, Joel, up. why would you find that funny? <laughs> um, it, it's, it's pretty adorable. Um, I also like, uh, videos of cows being released from barns in spring and boy, cows know how to party. Aww. Let me tell you. Number 13, identify whatever muscles are tense in your body and intentionally relax them one by one. Uh, number 14, visualize the stop sign in your head and tell yourself stop. Number 15, picture an ideal moment in your life. Put yourself back in that experience. Connect to the positive feelings you associate with that time period. I, I, I don't know. I, this one's kind of weird. Um, I, I, my memories are... You know, you, you've heard that like memories are reconstructions. It's like, you know, a thousand details that they just like reconstruct every single time you try to like access a memory. your interpretation of the situation, your perception of the situation. Yeah, I, I feel most of my memories are kind of like me looking back through a third person perspective. I don't have like a close emotional attachment to a lot of memories, if that makes sense. Okay. Maybe this comes from having poor mental visualization because I'm one of those Maybe people. Maybe you just don't sleep enough and your body just That's doesn't yeah. put those memories into the right place. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can imagine applying emotional states to different memories being like, yeah, I guess I was happy there, but... Yeah, it's not something I do a lot of. It's just something that helps you. 
Julie, you like, sound like first... so depressed right now. <laughs> Are you like, oh man, and then that was the first day I had horchata. That was good. No, like sitting on, when we went on vacation with BB, I think you were there. I'm pretty sure you were there. It was the last time we were in I was San Diego. passed out on a, on a beach. No, yeah. San Diego. Okay. And we were at, we were on Coronado, one of the Coronado beaches and Claudia and I were drinking kombucha and it was like the really, really good kombucha. And we were just sitting there and it was so peaceful. No one was on the beach. You were passed out. Dad was getting sunburned mm. and mom and baby were just laughing. So it was just a good, like, it was a good memory. Um, say, uh, editor, uh, when you're editing this episode, whenever Naomi just said liquid heroin, please substitute the word kombucha. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we, please correct that in post. Um, uh, this is the buzzword pineapple. When you hear the word pineapple, I need you to go back and correct whatever was just said. Oh my God. Uh, number 16, blow bubbles. It's impossible to have a panic attack inducing breathing and control your breath enough to blow a bubble at the same time. That seems fair. 17, get under something heavy. Weighted blankets are great, but whatever blankets you have that will also do, pile them on you. Or crawl between the mattress and the box spring of your bed if that will induce any claustrophobic feelings. As a general rule, you want a weighted blanket to be 10% of your ideal body weight if you're an adult for maximum effect. And for kids, about 10% plus a pound or two. Last summer, I was living with mom and dad because I got kicked out of my dorm because of COVID. Well, she was also throwing cherry bombs in the toilet. That's true, too. Um, And... When I was I was taking 10 credits over the summer because I was like, oh, I have time to do this. And I was very stressed. So I just for for a period of time every day, I would just lay under my dad's weighted blanket. Now who's sounding depressed? I'm not. I'm fine now. I'm fine. I'm fine. I had coping mechanisms. This is true. You built up your toolbox. Uh, 18, sit in the sun. Vitamin D helps depression symptoms and reduces systematic inflammation in the body. If you're in Arizona, wear sunblock. Um, yeah. Uh, I've gotten some some fun sunburns recently. I literally was just hanging out with this person yesterday, and they looked like a freaking lobster because they went down the river, ah, and yes. uh, it was like two lines down his legs that ah. were just like it was where he like put the sunscreen, and you could see like he didn't rub it in properly mm-hmm. or something, and he like looks like a like a lined lobster. It's really funny. That's fun. Uh, 19, gentle yoga poses known as forms uh, facilitate body awareness. Uh, so if you don't know yoga, um, it, it, there's some pretty easy forms you can do. Um, I would say even just trying to touch your toes is good enough for getting that body awareness. Uh, number 20, emotional acupuncture known as tapping or EFT. Um, I'm not too familiar with emotional acupressure. Uh, apparently there are a lot of YouTube videos on it as well. Um, I mean, I'd say also in terms of... Um, YouTube videos, watch some asthma videos of just people making ASMR. Asthma. ASMR. Um, when I was younger, I used to have asthma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I, I, I think there's plenty of emotionally coping resources online, uh, whether it be funny videos or like actually useful guided meditation. Um, there, yeah, there's just so much content on there. Um, please look for you know mental well-being uh, videos. I'm sure there's an entire subgenre. 21, drink something warm and soothing. Coffee or tea, honey and lemon. Uh, Don't do caffeine if caffeine makes you edgy. Um, I enjoy a nice hot cup of coffee. Um, I enjoy coffee that's just been made after it sits for like five minutes. Otherwise, it's cold to my tongue. But yes, a nice warm beverage is a great way for me to wake up. Um, I I notice the um, effects of energy from the coffee like less than 30 seconds after I've consumed it, which probably is impossible biochemically could be a 
placebo effect, but I think it could also have something to do with injecting all that warm liquid into your body. Your body's like, oh, this is something. I dig it. I feel different now. 22, take a picture of a living thing that you love. Your boo, your kiddo, your fur baby, your bestie, a gorgeous flower, yourself. Uh, Take pictures, remind yourself there is a love and beauty living out in your world. Um, I've gotten more into documenting my life for a long period of time. I didn't like people taking photos of me. I'm doing a little bit better now of like documenting my existence. It's literally just food. You only take, I take selfies with food. It's always the same face though. You're always like that translates really well in audio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I think that, um, it, it's important to remind yourself of who you are as well as who you were. Um, I think the self is this constantly evolving construct where like, we refine our mental image of who we are on a very regular basis. And so it's helpful having like set periods of time that you can look back and see whether it's through like journal injuries or actual photos. Um, I think, you know, if, if you're unhappy with who you are as a person, it's really helpful taking photos. Cause you know, three, five years down the line, you can look back and say, you know, this is how far I've come. So documenting stuff, I find that helpful. Um, Create a tiny treats budget. Hit the thrift or dollar store. When I was raising, when Dr. Harper said she was raising her daughter on uh, 18000 a year and living off of uh, food stamps, one of her favorite treat activities was buying a dollar bottle of nail polish and giving herself a miniature pedicure. Uh, she says creating a tiny fun budget for yourself, something in the dollar to $5 range is really helpful. Something that's like bubble bath, cheesy book, a new mug for the sweet and spicy tea. Um, this is not a physical thing, but I did have a folder in my computer that was like a tiny treats budget whenever I did well in speech and debate in high school. It was <laughs> a copy of Joe Espito's You're the Best on MP3. You know, I would only listen to that when I had actually won a round. And then it was a picture, which I'm sure I can find for you, that was called Breakfast of Champions. And it was a photo that I really liked that I could only see. And Breakfast Champions is like half a watermelon, a handful of rice crackers, and a bottle of Shiraz. And I thought that was really funny, but I could only stare at that image when like I had done well. You're looking at me, and this is my coping skill, so you can't judge me for this. I'm not, I'm not judging you. Yeah, it was great. Um, write a letter to someone you love or appreciate. Number 24, tell them what makes them so special to you. You can send it or not send it, but sending it might be a great boost that they personally need. I think that, uh, another coping skill is, um, I know that like some people I've had friends that have a really hard time, like stop if they like are in a toxic relationship or just a relationship in general where they break up with someone and they still want to talk to that person, but they can't text them or talk to them every single day. Like they used to, when they were in a relationship they start a journal of all the texts and all the things they wanted to say, but they can't now. And I think that this is a really good coping mechanism because you feel like you are letting it out, but at the same time, um, you're just keeping it to yourself. So I think that's a good way of coping with things. Yeah, definitely. I mean, number 25 is the same one. It's a uh, well, similar one is writing a letter to yourself, past self, future self, current self, who would use some, who could use some support and words of wisdom. Um, I've used a program for actually probably six or seven years now called Future Me, where every year you write a letter and um, you you send it to your email and a year later it'll arrive in your inbox. Um, I like getting emails. Yeah. It's like, oh, someone wrote it to me. <gasps> it's me in the past. How incredible. It me. Uh, but no, I, I think it's interesting, you know, sort of sharing your mental state and um, where you you stand in the world with, you know, again, a future version of yourself. I think it's easy to forget, you know, how far you've come, um, how your problems and good things in your life have changed over time. 
Um, and you know, I, I then copy that letter and include that in my next future letter. So, you know, now I have a document of, you know, six or seven years worth of me's that I can refer back to as needed. I think it's cool. You look disappointed, but when do you, I don't look disappointed. 26 taking one toxic or suspicious thing out of your life for 21 days, a food, a substance, a shitty human being, uh, ask yourself how you feel. Do you feel any better? What happens when you allow it or them back in three weeks? Uh, does your body say no? Um, I think that's really interesting. I think there's a lot of things people put up with. Um, there, there's a phenomenon I've heard. It's like the missing stair effect where like if you walked into a house and there was a stair missing, you'd be like, huh, that's really weird. But like if you walk into a house, people have been living in for a while and there's a stair missing and like, oh, that's just the missing stair. Our house, for instance, has weird like circuits and every so often we'll turn on the microwave and everything will shut off on that wall and we'll have to reset the breaker. It's actually just haunted. And I think most people who moved into this house would be like, oh, uh, well, uh, we should probably fix that. But we're like, no, that's just a part of it. It's just quirky. And so in the same way, I think a lot of people have been living with things for a while, whether it be someone negative in their life or some bad thing in th- th- their life that maybe doesn't make them feel good just have learned to live with it. They've learned strategies to allow them to like mitigate the impact it has on their life. Just give it up. Try it, try it's, it for a couple it's weeks. It's so don't, don't, like don't toxic it. to do that though, because like I know so many people that they'll like be dealing with a toxic situation and I'm like, Hey, block this person, tell them they don't like tell them that they don't have a place in your life anymore and move on because this isn't helping you long-term. And they're like, Oh, but that's rude. And I'm like, it's rude to yourself to keep that person in your life. So why would you continue to do that? Yeah, it, it's, you know, every so often I hear, you know, someone's like, well, I, I really want to break up with, you know, my significant other, but they've threatened to commit suicide yep. uh, if I do it. And that's, oh God, that's, that's emotional abuse to the nth degree. Yeah. Uh, if someone says that to you, yeah, you're, you're in an emotionally abusive relationship, hands down. That's the reddest of red flags. Yeah. You're not selfish for wanting to leave that. Um, ultimately you can't control what they do or don't do. I would say in most instances, they're just bluffing so they get attention. But it took even me a long not, time to learn that. Yeah, even if they're not, like, still, you are ultimately not responsible for what other people do. Yeah. And so you should not tie yourself to those individuals. If you need to go and ghost them, please ghost them. You are not obligated to stay in relationships that are, like, super abusive. Um, or, you know, in, in just, like, the personal or professional settings. And, and let's not get away from this idea of, like, taking food and substances out of your life. If maybe you feel bad after you've done a bunch of drinks, Drinking on Saturday night, maybe don't drink on a Saturday night. Uh, if you keep RJ. eating uh, large uh, pieces of bread and your stomach says, no, don't do that, maybe you're gluten intolerant and should try not eating all that bread. Um, but yeah, I think it's worth testing your diet. It's worth, you know, assuming things. Uh, our mother recently had an allergen test and, and it was revealed a lot of things she used to be allergic to, she's totally fine with now. And a lot of things that she used to be totally fine with, uh, she's now allergic to. Apparently, what you're allergic to changes over time, which is really crazy to me. Um, But yeah, it's totally possible that something you think is okay because you had an allergen test a while back no longer is good for you. Thanks, human bodies. Woohoo! 27, drink some water. We live in Arizona, so we already drink a lot of water. But drink a lot, a lot of water. Your urine should not be yellow. Thank you, Dr. Harper. Okay, it should be a slight tint of yellow, but mainly it should be like a clear. It shouldn't be a dark yellow. I have, they installed charts at my work above the urinals that are like, hey, this is how much water you should be drinking if your urine looks like these these colors. 
and uh, they have this like dark brown one at the bottom that's like, yeah, this one probably means eternal bleeding. Uh, you should go to a doctor if you see this. You're horribly dehydrated and have health issues. I learned in my bio class that if your blood, or if your blood, if your uh, pee smells like sweet, it means that glucose is coming out through your pee, which is not a good thing. It probably means you're diabetic. What if I just had a lot of glucose for dinner? Like, like a big thing, uh, I don't know, corn syrup. Your glucose should never be excreted through your pee. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so water is vital to the body and to the brain. It improves our memory and our concentration. So you want to drink lots of water. Um, I will temper this. I will say more people die in marathons from overhydration than underhydration. So if you feel full to the brim and your belly is taut like a drum and you're making sloshing sounds, please stop drinking water. That's a bad idea. <laughs> Go to the bathroom. Uh, 28, reflect on something you do hella well. Ask yourself, how do you get so good at it? And how might those skills translate to this situation? 29, make a list of things that don't need to be changed in your life. Figure out what works just fucking fine. Uh, number 30, have sex, cuddle with someone, get a light touch massage. Just think about someone you feel close to. Um, so physical touching releases oxytocin. Um, deep tissue massage decreases cortisol, but light touch massage releases far more oxytocin. Oxytocin is a peptide hormone that facilitates connection and empathy childbirth, nursing, things that are related to like the act of birth, uh, release a lot of oxytocin. Um, so like mothers are very closely bonded with their kids through the simple act of like just raising them, which is interesting. 31. If you're not a big fan of touch, nurture relationships in other ways. Send someone a text or email thanking them or telling them how much you appreciate them. Deepening our connection, people has a stronger positive correlation or health than smoking has negative, um, such as like with cancer. Sorry. Deepening our connection with people has a stronger positive correlation to our health, and smoking has a negative correlation to cancer. I don't know if I buy that. Um, Number 32, strike a power pose. Tons oh, of research shows that we can stand like superheroes, legs apart, arms on hips, elbows bent. We feel more powerful to the point that standing like this for two minutes decreases cortisol, the stress hormone, and increases testosterone, are engaged to win hormone. Channel your inner, inner Wonder Woman or Black Panther, y'all. So I actually uh, listened to a TED Talk uh, a couple years back talking about this. And I think it was for one of my classes in high school, but basically it was talking about this power pose where you stand in it. And even if you feel awkward doing it, like before a test or a big like presentation or something, and you feel awkward doing it in front of people, go to the bathroom and like stand in a stall and just do it. Cause it'll give you like 30 seconds to a minute. It'll give you a sense of like, uh, of confidence that you wouldn't normally get. And I don't know why, but okay, I just explained why, but um, it, it, it'll help. Number 33, take a tech break. And can I say, I initially typed this as break, as in B-R-A-K-E, um, which is equally appropriate. Set up a schedule for checking your messages and social media rather than be obsessively constant checking it some people have gone so far as to gray out their gray out 111 their phone screens without what does that say okay whatever i'm skipping over that with other bright colors to entice you we are far more likely to fall back into the rabbit hole of mindless scrolling so i know that joel does this where he like puts his phone on black and white mode and like takes away the colors, so it's not as like it, it doesn't give our our brain the happy content that it wants um Number 34, picturing someone or something that represents loving kindness and compassion to you. It could be a person, a spiritual figure, maybe an aspect of nature you resonate with. Picture yourself in the presence of this compassion and loving kindness and feel those things towards yourself. 
What would you like to hear from it? And how would those experiences feel to you? Um, I mean, I think this ties into spirituality. I think a lot of people have close personal connections with religious icons. I think, you know, people who are into tarot have a similar connection to a lot of the figures depicted within the tarot canon, especially the major arcana. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it's helpful walking through those conversations, even if, you know, you're not a particularly religious person, just like, how would you talk to death? How would you talk to life? 35, trying a Tibetan singing bowl. The concentration it takes to make it hum is sort of like blowing bubbles. You have to focus so much on that, you can't focus on other stuff. Um, 36, doing something slowly, slow way down and be super mindful. Or pick a task that requires time and mindful attention, like making risotto. Um, I think that kind of ties into this idea, you know, if you're like doing deliberate walking and carrying a teaspoonful of water and trying not to spill any. Uh, it's actually really difficult doing stuff slowly. I think a lot of people are accustomed to like accomplishing stuff in very quick periods of time, and they have to walk through every step much slower than normal when they can't just automatically do it. You know, your brain gets wired to perform certain functions when you actually have to think about every step of the process. Your brain's like, whoa, whoa, stop. Hate it. Plan a dream trip, number 37. Is it a vacation or a learning experience? Where will you go? What will you do? More importantly, what amazing foods will you try? Plan out all the details. You've now got an amazing goal to work towards. So I have heard from a number of people that they actually enjoy planning trips more than they enjoy going on the actual trip. So if you're one of those people, I think that this would really help. Um, I like to, like for me, for instance, a really fun part of getting ready for a trip is planning out outfits that I'm going to wear on the trip. Um, I think that that's really fun. And like, even if you aren't planning on going on a trip anytime soon, or you just like want something um, to plan for, maybe just plan your outfits or plan, um, oh, I'm going to eat just drunken noodles when I go to Thailand. Like that's the only thing I'm actually, I don't know if that's a traditional dish. Is drunken noodles a traditional dish? dish i i couldn't tell you i think most cuisine in america has been modified in some way okay fair point number 38 pick an anthem song play that shit when you need to pick me up sing along loud joel what's your anthem song that's a really good question because you know i don't listen to a lot of music i think that your anthem song is that one song the the oh uh the fight club song the soundtrack (laughs) this is your life ending one moment at a time (laughs) This is your life. Uh, yeah, it's uh, really depressing. Uh, it, it's all about Ikea furniture and uh, materialism. It's pretty cool. Hold on. I got to find my anthem song. I'm going to um, for it. I, I like Lizzo. Everyone likes Lizzo. Lizzo's pretty good. Uh, all about my juice. Good as hell. Good as hell. Uh, I, I I can't say I'm ever going to feel the, the pleasure of... Ooh, a good throwback for everyone um, is Fly by Nicki Minaj and Rihanna. Throwback, you say. Naomi, what year was that published? Probably like 2009, 2010. I don't know. Good God. Oof. It's like that old movie, you know, Little Mermaid. I really love Machine Gun Kelly for like anything. So I think that that it can be sad. It can make me cry. Or the the metric me is Machine Gun Kelly. Interesting. Uh, number 39, smudge that shit. Uh, burning sage and other herbs kills toxins in the air and improves brain functions. Um, burning and producing smoke is better, um, but you can also use like sprays, like uh, sprays of essential oils so you don't set off smoke detectors. Lavender spray. That is pretty nice. I, I do enjoy burning candles. Candles are nice. I've done incense. Incense is annoying just because it's messy. You get that like powder at the end. I, I like candles because they're self-contained. Yes, I agree. 
40, set your intention by saying it out loud, not just thinking it. It adds an auditory cue, making it more likely to stick. 41, do 5, 7, 8 breathing. I think she's cheating by having all these breathing exercises mixed in. Uh, you're essentially breathing in for five counts, holding for seven, exhaling for eight. Uh, number 42, take a break from your comfort zone. Take a different route, even if it's just your mailbox. Chew your food on the other side of your mouth. Um, it will feel really weird, especially if you're a creature of habit. And you need to pay attention to how these changes affect you, so it gives you something new to focus on. 43, make a list of things you look forward to. If the list seems small, create things to look forward to, like a cupcake date for you with yourself at the end of the week. Anticipation produces dopamine before you even get the reward. So that's like cheating. Set up a lot of like little things in your calendar. Just be like, cupcake date. Today. Tomorrow. Wednesday. Thursday. Friday. I heard this person that was like, I'm going to work from home, and every day starting with tea. Tuesday. Thursday. Today. Tomorrow. Saturday. Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Make a list of things you look forward to. Number 43. Number 44. Are you really furious about something? Try the 60-minute anger package from Julia Samuels' book, Grief Works. Do 10 minutes of journaling, 20 minutes of running or other cardio, 10 minutes meditating, and 20 minutes of watching or reading something funny. 45. Shift your language. Say, I don't, instead of I can't. Instead of making demands to others, state your preferences to them and label it as such. Language shifts add ownership to your experience and decrease the power of struggle. Make one small but healthy change for 21 days and then see what you, how you feel afterwards. It's number 46. Don't do like a huge diet shift. Maybe switch out one dairy milk for almond milk. Maybe do five minutes of stretching in the morning before going to work. Maybe switching to half-calf instead of fully caffeinated coffee. Something that can have a huge impact without a ton of extra stress and planning. 47, try a cue-controlled relaxation technique. Just tense and relax certain muscles in your body at a time so you can connect and feel the difference. When we're upset, we tense our muscles in certain patterns as part of a fight-flight-freeze response. And by connecting back to our bodies, we can start to unpack these patterns. So when they occur, we know where to focus our relaxation efforts. Number 48. Channel your inner Dr. Phil. Step outside no, he's a what's terrible going person. on mentally for a moment and ask yourself, booming Texas drawl included, how is that working for you? This uh, uncle or Dr. Phil isn't intended as a mechanism of self-shaming for whatever response you are have having. Remember, responses aren't good or bad. They are all adaptive. But this does not let you step out of the cycle of response for a minute. Judge if it's an adaptation that is helping you through the current situation in the healthiest way possible so you can adjust as need be. Great person, Dr. Phil. I'm sorry, I'm listening to other people. He's podcasts. not actually a doctor. Yeah. He's just Phil. He's a chumbo. Okay, so we've gone through 48 techniques. I hope none of our listeners fell asleep. If they did, I hope they're having a great nap to the soothing sounds they of They fell asleep asthma. to our soothing voices. This is true. Our wonderful asthma. Um, yeah, so the, the idea, of course, of this episode was to give you a lot more tools in your toolkit to both understand and like actually do stuff to improve your mental health and not get stressed at stressful times. Um, but I think there's one other thing that Dr. Harper includes, which is perhaps even more helpful than that. And that's helping other people cope. Um, if you think these techniques are stressful, they will also be helpful for other people. At least that's the theory. Uh, now, one of her suggestions is to give them a copy of the book, uh, which is, I'm sure, a great way to sell stuff. It's like, have you heard of this new coping skills book? Uh, but I, I would personally recommend it. It's a very quick read. It's, I think, like less than 100 pages. Um, and the language is very simple and straightforward. Big font. And again, if you're in a super stressful situation and can't think of, you know, the techniques you need, it's good to have a kind of a desk reference on hand. 
Um, but if you know you don't want to give a copy of the book or you just listen to this podcast and don't have anything written down, there's a couple other things you can do. So the first one would be honoring people's experiences and emotional responses. Um, anything, of course, we feel is like valid and real. Um, we, we shouldn't discount people's experiences. Um, that can happen later if, you know, they're, they're in a less emotionally fragile state um, to, you know, walk them through, you know, why they were feeling in a certain way and whether or not that was valid. Uh, recognize no one goes from zero to hundred instantaneously. And we kind of discussed it earlier, but like, there's a lot going on at the surface that like is not immediately obvious. It's not just that the boss yelled at them. It's not just that they're behind on stuff. It's possible there's stuff going on at home. It's possible, you know, they're, they're in debt to someone, they're They're hungry, they need a Snickers bar, all that good stuff. Um, so if you, if someone flips out, the likelihood is it was the last straw on top of like a lot of other things. It's very unlikely that, you know, somebody just is, is so emotionally charged that they're, you know, blowing up at every opportunity. I was given a tip recently, um, from someone that was in a long-term relationship that was like, every time that we get into a bickering situation, I always ask the other person or the other person asks me, hey, have you eaten enough today? Do you need something to eat? Have you slept enough? And I think that that's good in some relationships, but I know that in some relationships, people take that as like, if you're already in like a uh, like set state of like fight, fighting right. mode, then you're going to be like, oh, well, you're just trying to demean me. And well, you're just thinking yeah, it, it, that goes back to number one, honoring their experience and emotional response, right? They think it's real. They're going to feel insulted if you immediately are saying, well, your emotions don't exist. It's just you being hungry. No, I don't think that's necessarily true because it's like, okay, maybe we should just like have this conversation once everyone is eaten, once everyone has slept correctly. And then if you, like you're still feeling this emotional response, like let's talk about it. But I, I think you're right. It can work in certain relationships, but I think it's it, if in most people would be like a guy talking to a woman and be like, what are you on your period or something? Joel's just saying that if anybody said this to him, he'd fight them. No, I, I, I'm <laughs> saying that again, it, it seems most people in the moment aren't going to be rationally processing things like that. They want an opportunity to vent. They want someone else to have an emotional reaction so that they can feel satisfied and correct. I, I don't think anybody who's angry or super unhappy is going to recognize the validity of what you're saying. So again, that conversation can have been later. Like, hey, I notice whenever you haven't eaten for a long time, we get into fights. I don't think it needs to happen in the moment, I guess okay. is my point. Without saying you understand exactly how they feel, because um, like you don't really know exactly what they feel, a lot going on under the surface, remember. Uh, discuss your own experiences with coping with tough times. Talk about who and what helped you the most. Talk about where you maybe had to recognize that your very real feelings weren't always representative of reality due to your own emotional history and how you shifted your thinking. Listen hope for the future. Um, it's like that Robin Williams scene with his wife farting in Goodwill Hunting. It's a very touching scene. We love you, Robin Williams. It's like my wife used to fart a lot in her sleep. And everyone cries. It's it's a really tragic scene. Matt Damon and um, and uh, who else is in that movie? Um, the the other guy, uh, Batman, most recent Batman. Goodwill Hunting has my recommendation. <laughs> it's it's a fun film. Um, it's not the deepest, but eh, it's emotionally satisfying. Pulls the heartstrings. Um, help people figure out behavioral chunks they can tackle with your help that don't feel overwhelming. Maybe you can go over and help them clean up the kitchen. Maybe you can go hiking together. If it's an activity that benefits both of you, that's more the better. Right? 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 Right. Go. Uh, remind them that you only want to help if your help is truly beneficial. Don't do unwanted things. Don't make them feel like you have to assign you a task to make you feel useful. Tell them directly, I do not need to help you to make myself feel better. I want to help you feel to actually help you. Uh, I'm noticing a lot of patterns here where 
it's similar to hostage negotiation. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen um, Mine Hunters on Netflix. No. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of hostage negotiators will use similar techniques when they're talking to people. You know, it's I recognize you as a human. I want to, you know, help you out. I want to prevent the police from killing you outside. Um, What's going on? How did you get to this place? I think police interrogation, you know, does something similar. Um, Again, you know, if the tactic works, it works in a lot of contexts. It's not, you know, a one time only. It obviously has a lot of use. Um, But no, I, I think, you know, the fact that it's used in so many other situations is indicative of its utility to your personal life. Uh, if someone says they don't want help and support, leave the door open for later support. Tell them if anything changes, you are available to help and would genuinely like to. Uh, I think that's very useful. I, I think some people want to take the easy way out and they're like, oh, you don't need help. Okay, bye. I'm going to go watch the game. Uh, no, you, you need to be a committed friend in the long term. And then finally, the suggestion is get trained in suicide prevention. If you haven't already, be brave in asking those difficult questions. Good training that's all online, only take an hour of your time, it can be found at Ask Certification Training. Uh, remember that someone may be in a bad place and the response to your experiences can be directed towards you or towards people you love or care for. Um, you understand where someone's coming from, but you don't need to allow bad behavior. Establish boundaries, communicate the consequences of them not being respected, fall through in the consequences, and if contact becomes limited because of these behaviors, communicate what new behaviors need to see before contact is reestablished. That seems... That seems good. That seems good for all relationships. Like, yeah. hey, I have a shitty parent who refuses to like respect the boundaries I've placed on my kid. Um, I have a shitty parent who continues to yell and demean me for my career choices. Uh, I have a shitty sibling who's stolen money from me in the past. Uh, I'm not sorry. Uh, to be clear, I'm not. These are not personal experiences that I have had. Um, you know, I've had an ex-boyfriend who refuses to accept that we've broken up and shows up with flowers every week. Oh, I knew about that one. yes all my good ex-boyfriends yeah but i I think these skills have a lot of utility and function you know for both your personal life and then to help the others around you who you feel might not be in the best of relationships so that is all the information we had for today um this has been joel's book report where he just reads the book and he actually made a whole diorama yes a whole diorama it has action figures and um articulating pieces lots of fake moss Lots of fake moss, a lot of those fake dollar store trees that have spray painted so it looks slightly better. Yep. Some more Hammer 40K figures. Uh, but no, I, I think, again, we wanted to kind of dig a little deeper into this topic of coping skills past, you know, our personal experiences and what made us feel good. Uh, consider this kind of a part two of that original episode. Um, I would recommend additional books by Dr. Harper. I will probably buy some more from them because I found this one so helpful. Uh, she publishes under Microcosm Publishing and has a number of books, including Unfuck Your Brain, Unfuck Your Intimacy, This Is Your Brain on Anxiety, This Is Your Brain on Depression, Unfuck Your Adulting, Coping Skills, Unfuck Your Anger, Unfuck Your Boundaries, and Unfuck Your Year. Boy, that would have been helpful last year, you know? Damn. Yeah. Damn. Unfuck Your 2020. Too real. Too real. Boy, the gift that keeps on giving. Yep. Naomi, I think that is the end of my report. Do you have a grade for me? A plus plus. A plus plus. Plus plus plus. Incredible. I'm going to really skew the curve for all these other chumbles. I expect you to do do a book report sometime soon. Oh, damn. Okay, well, this has been us at Date These Guys, or Why Will No One Date These Guys? We need to remember the name for our podcast. Peace. With peace love, and love, we are understanding. Ending. We're ending the episode. One day we'll figure out how to do so in a way that doesn't make us look like idiots. Yep. Bye. One day.